Welcome back to SetinMoon.com. I'm Joseph Dumont, your host this week again. Uh, we have a couple other people that are going to be joining us shortly, I hope. Um, but I wanted to bring to you today a teaching about what's going on in the news right now. You've heard of Brexit. You've heard of the hard divorce that's going on between the United Kingdom and Europe. And in the news this past week has been the Spain claiming Gibraltar to take it back after or during this divorce proceeding. Now, some people are laughing at that because 98% or 99% of the people in Gibraltar voted to remain in the UK. So they're saying, well, you know, they just can't take. But it's part of the, the Spanish peninsula. It's part of Spain. It's attached to Spain. So I'm going to play for you now a, uh, a couple of interviews. One is from Lord Howard and his uh, referring to the Gibraltar in a similar fashion to the Falklands, uh, which is very interesting and something that we should consider. And then the next interview after that will be from Fabian Picardo, who is a, a politician from Gibraltar, and he's commenting about these things that are going on with Spain. So I want you to listen to these two interviews. They're a little bit lengthy. That's okay. we got time. Listen to them. Hear what's going on. So you're up to speed about what's going on. But also understand that uh, Donald Tusk, who's the president of the EU, well, he's acting like a, a, a husband who's mad about his wife leaving him. So this is the EU getting divorced from Britain. And Gibraltar is one of the children, per se, in this divorce proceeding. Our first interview here is from Sky News, and it's Sophie Ridge interviewing Lord Howard. Well, three letters exchanged this week could change the course of the country's future. How very quaint. Theresa May, the EU, and Nicola Sturgeon had been setting out the red lines and negotiating positions that will keep us talking for the next two years until Brexit becomes reality. I'm joined now from Kent by the former leader of the Conservative Party, Lord Howard. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, this morning. Now, you've always been a very keen. Good morning, Sophie. You've always been a very keen supporter of Brexit. Uh, this week, we've had the kind of red lines, the negotiating positions set out from both the UK and the EU, and it does feel as though the EU is perhaps standing rather firmer than some people expected, particularly, of course, on that divorce bill. Are you feeling any less optimistic now about Brexit than you were in June? Not at all. No, I'm very optimistic about the outcome. I think a good deal is in the interests of the EU and in our own interests, and I'm confident that uh, good sense will prevail. I admire your optimism there. Uh, one of the perhaps more serious things uh, that's been in the news in recent weeks ha has been the future of the union, because of course we have a situation now where the Scottish nationalists want a second referendum in Scotland. The future of power sharing in Northern Ireland hangs in the balance. Even Gibraltar now appears to be on the table. How worried are you about it? Um, I'm, I'm not concerned uh, if we take Gibraltar first. Um, I think there's no question whatever that our government will stand by Gibraltar. Um, th 35 years ago this week, another woman prime minister sent a task force halfway across the world to defend the freedom of another small group of British people uh, against another Spanish-speaking country. And I'm absolutely certain that our current Prime Minister will show the same resolve in standing by the people of Gibraltar. Up next is the GBC News interview with Fabian Picardo on EU's Brexit stance on Gibraltar. 
Gibraltar government has described the EU's stance as shameful, unfavourable treatment of enthusiastic EU supporters. The chief minister says Spain is obsessed with Gibraltar and that this is a disgraceful attempt by her to pursue her own narrow political interests. Fabian Picardo joins me in the studio. Good evening, Mr Picardo. Good evening. Are you surprised by the EU's stance? Well, no Gibraltarian will be surprised that this is Spain's stance. Now, let's please analyse for a moment what is happening. These are draft guidelines that the Council is sending to the 27 capitals of the remaining member states with the input of those capitals that have wanted to feed into them now. They are not yet approved by the 27 member states. That will happen before the 29th of April. So these are not yet formally sent to the United Kingdom. Once they are approved, they will be formally sent to the United Kingdom. We'll see what the text of these guidelines says on the 29th of April. But let's be very clear about something. Spain has been exercising a de facto veto on the application to Gibraltar of air liberalisation measures since she broke the Cordoba agreements five years ago in the election of the Partido Popular. Not just damaging Gibraltar, damaging the whole of the European Union in the process that has not yet been able to do a deal with the Ukraine. So four chief ministers of Gibraltar, myself included, explained to the public in Gibraltar and those who were listening in the United Kingdom that this was likely the sort of behaviour we would see from Spain if we voted to leave the European Union. So your question is, am I surprised? Neither I nor any Gibraltarian will be surprised that Spain fires the first salvo in relation to Gibraltar. She's the demandeur in respect of Gibraltar. The United Kingdom did not make an issue of Gibraltar in the Article 50 letter. She's put it on the agenda and she's trying to use it to advance her medieval sovereignty claim. So you've you've stressed the point that these are draft guidelines, but I mean, uh, Gibraltar doesn't have a, a big friend in Europe without the UK. So these are likely to be the guidelines which the EU takes to its negotiating table with the UK. It's impossible to know what will be adopted in the next 30 days. Let's say that we'll wait until the 29th of April to say these are the guidelines. Neither you nor I have a good idea of what may happen around the negotiating table of the 27th. But you're absolutely right that our friend in Europe, the United Kingdom, is not going to be there to defend our interests. Okay. Uh, Are you satisfied with the UK's response to uh, this statement today, or at least uh, this uh, negotiating principle? Who have you spoken to and what have they said? There has been an immediate response from the United Kingdom, both from uh, members of Parliament who are supportive of Gibraltar. You've seen Andrew Rosendale and Bob Neill have made remarks. Members of the European Parliament who are supportive of Gibraltar. You've seen Julie Gerling's remarks. I've spoken to the Foreign Secretary this afternoon, who has confirmed that the United Kingdom will remain implacable and ruthless in the defence of Gibraltar's interests in the negotiations. You've had a statement from Theresa May confirming steadfast support for Gibraltar, and I spent quite a period of time talking this afternoon to Robin Walker, who is our interface in the Department for Exiting the European Union, dealing with the issues that this draft has thrown up. So are they worried? I mean, uh, if you were expecting it, it sounds like you've had a busy afternoon despite the fact that you were expecting it. Well, because you don't know what the wording of something is going to be until it's actually produced by the other side. You analyse all of that and you look in detail at what it is that has been produced. So the people of Gibraltar don't have to worry. The people of Gibraltar need to get on with their lives and their businesses because our success comes from ignoring the constant attempts by Spain to erode our sovereignty and succeeding in avoiding that 
that erosion by continuing to be economically successful in the way that we entrepreneurially rise to the challenge every single time. But it is important to note that Gibraltar has been a trending topic on Twitter in the United Kingdom and is the lead item on many of the news bulletins in the United Kingdom because Gibraltar matters in the UK, in particular in the context of Brexit, because we cannot be a victim of Brexit because we voted to remain in the European Union and because Brexiteers were saying there would be no victims of Brexit. So this has huge potential political significance in the United Kingdom. Um, what do you think the, the, the rest of the EU is going to make of this uh, negotiating principle? Um, are we effectively going to be uh, seeing Spain having a veto over the application of any potential deal after Brexit? Well, uh, th that's a two-pronged question. You've asked me. Can what... I ask a third prong? Well, okay. because it's my last one. <laughs> okay. Um, and are you worried about what might happen in the interim? Well, um, what does the rest of the EU think of this? Oh, I can't tell you what they think of this. 450 million people, 27, 26 other capitals. Let me speculate that at least they have seen. It is a Spanish spanner being thrown in the works over Gibraltar and nobody else raising a thorny issue that might derail talks, right? Uh, second, am I worried that this is going to result in a veto uh, for Spain at the end of the process? There are two years of negotiations to come. One of the issues that people asked me about in the past six months was, was I worried that when everything was agreed, at five minutes to midnight, Spain might raise the issue of Gibraltar? Well, Senor Mariano had ensured that wasn't the case by raising the of Gibraltar, even before the referendum result was in, I think now at least we are uh, aided by the fact that Spain has played her card very quickly and I think very inelegantly. So I am not worried about that. I think it's important that we see the complexion of what is coming towards us. So that's the best way to ensure that we deal with the issue in one way or another. And finally, am I worried about issues about what will happen in the interim? Uh, not at all, because until the minute that it's midnight on the 29th of March on 2019, the United Kingdom is a member of the European Union and Gibraltar with it. And if there is one aspect of the draft guidelines that I'm happy with, it's that one of the things that we have heard repeatedly from commentators in Spain is that Gibraltar is going to be excluded from the exit negotiations. Well, it is now clear that even in the guidelines issued in draft by the Council to the other member states of the European Union, Gibraltar is a part of the exit negotiations. That is a meaningful, important step forward for Gibraltar as well in the competing theories between us and Madrid of what should happen. Okay, Chief Minister, you mentioned there that um, Gibraltar has been a, a popular subject in the UK news today. I understand that you're off to the BBC News, um, or at least you're going to be appearing on BBC News at uh, quarter past nine, and then later on on BBC Radio 4. In short, your message? There is a lot of interest in Gibraltar, and the people of Gibraltar are going to remain British through Brexit and after Brexit. There is, a, there is an element of the reporting in the United Kingdom that says Gibraltar's future is at stake. Not at all. Even even if we were to lose this part of the match, it's about forming part of whatever relationship the UK may have with Europe in the future. We don't want to lose that part of the match. But it's, if we do, we're still going to have a very bright, very prosperous, totally British future. So our future is not at all in play. Chief Minister Fabian Picardo, thank you for joining us on thank Newswatch you very much tonight. Indeed. So now, why is this so important? Why am I bringing this up? Why is Gibraltar important for us to talk about? What has it got to do with the Brexit and the UK leaving the EU? What has this got to do with us in these last days? A great deal. 
a great deal. Gibraltar is a vital sea gate. It's the gate or the entranceway into the Mediterranean. We've been telling you how the King of the North, the European Union or the Assyrian or the German King of the North is going to unite, is going to fight against, first of all, fight against the King of the South. Then they're going to unite and become the King of the North and the South, become this mighty great nation, which is Europe and all of North Africa and the Middle East. It's the rebuilding of the Roman Empire and it's taking place right before your very eyes. It's happening right now on the nightly news. Gibraltar is one of the pieces in this puzzle that needs to come to mind and needs to be thought about because Gibraltar is going to be controlled by the European Union. Britain is going to lose it or they're going to give it up or something to that effect, they're going to lose it in war. We're now in the fourth sabbatical cycle. This fourth sabbatical cycle is the curse of war coming from Leviticus 26, what, 18, verse 18. For nearly two centuries, the United States and Britain have controlled nearly all of the important sites, all of these sea gates around the world. In fact, the possession of these strategic sea gates was directly responsible for the emergence of America and Britain as world powers. That's how important these things are. Panama, Gibraltar, the Suez Canal, Singapore. And one by one, they've given them up. One by one, they've lost them. So let's go back to the prophecy where this was given to them because the United States and the United Kingdom are Ephraim and Manasseh. They are the leading two tribes of the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Judah and Levi and Benjamin are the Jewish state of Israel today. If you don't understand that, you need to get our book, The 2300 Days of Hell, you need to go read it and understand it because the first four chapters, we go through this step by step showing you who these people are. When Israel went into captivity in 723 BC, the Assyrians called them Bet Qumri, the house of Omri. They couldn't say Omri, they said Qumri. And Bet Qumri became the Qumarians, the Qumarians, the Qumarians, and that K changed to a C and was still a hard C, so they became Marians. And then it was changed to a soft C and became Sumerians. The Sumerians are also known today as the Celtic people, of who the Anglo-Saxons are descended from, the Celtics. This is our Gaelic language. Even the Gaelic language is very similar in, in many aspects to Hebrew words. If you don't understand that, you need to get our book, The 21 Days of Hell, and learn about this stuff. Abraham was given a promise, and he was promised wealth and prosperity if his descendants would obey Jehovah. Your descendants shall possess, and here's in Genesis 22:17, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. This promise was repeated to Rebekah. Rebekah is the, the daughter-in-law of Abraham. She married Isaac. She was told, may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Genesis 24, 60. Has this indeed happened? Yes. The Hebrew word for gate is sha'ar, S-H-A, apostrophe A-R, and it means an opening, like a door, a gate, a port, or a city. And that's Hebrew strong 5892, or no, 8179, Hebrews 8179. Now a city is 5892, or 7023, or 7151. It's a different word for city. So Sha'ar is like a city gate. And the United States and Great Britain controlled these gates. Gibraltar, the Suez Canal, Panama Canal. Even the Falkland Islands control the southern tip down there. And even, you know, the other parts of the tribes controlled South Africa, which is another sea gate. These are all very important. 3,500 years ago, 
Jehovah told Moses to inform the Israelites that if they obeyed his instructions, they would be blessed. But if they disobeyed and failed to observe his commandments, they would be punished. This is Deuteronomy 28. You need to go and read it. Read the whole chapter, Deuteronomy 28. In another specific prophecy, Jehovah stated that as punishment for disobedience, the enemies of Israel would besiege. That word besiege is vex, trouble, oppress. And it means they will besiege you at your gates. This is Deuteronomy 28, 52 and 55. Many prophecies indicate that the Israelite nations will be defeated suddenly and quickly by their enemies and carried into captivity in foreign lands. Again, Deuteronomy 28, 20 to 25, Isaiah 29, 5, uh, Isaiah 30, 12 to 13, Jeremiah 15, 1 to 8, Jeremiah 30, 1 to 7 and 24. The Bible clearly predicts that the sea gates promised as a blessing to Abram and his descendants will be lost to their enemies when Jehovah begins to break the pride of your power, this is Leviticus 26 speaking, as punishment for your disobedience. Leviticus 26, 17, and 18. I will break the pride of your power. This process began in the mid-1900s and appeared to reach a climax by the close of the 20th century, but you're now seeing it again on the nightly news. In 1956, Egypt took control of the Suez Canal by force. The canal had been built by the French in the 1850s and operated uh, by a joint British-French company for almost a century. During the period of British-French control, the canal operated under a policy that guaranteed freedom of passage for ships of all nations without discrimination in peace and in war. Okay, that's from Encyclopedia Americana. However, after Egypt nationalized the canal, it was closed to Israel or to all Israeli ships and to ships carrying Israeli goods. Then after the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, Egypt closed the canal to all ships until 1975. Most of the Middle East oil goes through this canal up to Europe. But during this time, they had to go around Africa and back up, adding to the cost and the length of time for the oil to get to Europe. The Rock of Gibraltar guards the western entrance to the Mediterranean. Gibraltar is actually a Spanish peninsula and was held by Spain from 1462 until 1704, when it was captured by the British. The British have controlled this valuable naval base for nearly 300 years, but Spain has been demanding that Gibraltar be reunited to Spanish sovereignty. Spain has now filed papers this last week for Gibraltar to be given back to the European Union, to be given back to Spain. This divorce, I don't know too many divorces that go along very peaceably, but this divorce has now turned ugly with Spain demanding this, this property back. As you heard from Fabian Picardo, this is the type of thing that Spain is doing. It's a process to try and gain back the land. It's a curse from Jehovah for not obeying the commandments. And this curse, we're going to lose Gibraltar. Singapore, another piece of property that controlled the South China Sea, entrance into the South China Sea, and Great Britain had it. It was founded in 1819. It remained under their control for nearly 150 years until it became an independent nation in 1965. Now China is seeking to control it. China is trying to control the whole, whole South China Sea. Another island, Taiwan, controls another entrance into the South China Sea, and China, again, as you know, is trying to control that. And they threatened the western United States cities should the United States interfere in China's expanding in that area. 
The Panama Canal is on the very doorstep of the United States. It's been called one of the great crossroads of the world and the most vital strategic waterway in the world. The canal first envisioned by Spanish explorers in the 1500s was begun by the French and completed by the Americans in 1914. When it opened, the Panama Canal was considered the greatest construction project the world had ever seen. Again, from the uh, Encyclopedia Americana. Despite the Panama Canal's importance, the United States on December 31, 1999, gave control of the canal to the nation of Panama. The United States has relinquished control of military bases, deep water ports, and airfields in Panama. The official United States government position is that the canal has lost its importance and the country's its strategic value, and that there is no need for continued military presence there. Okay, but now the Chinese have moved in. A Hong Kong-based firm with close ties to the Chinese was given control over the key ports, Balboa and Cristobal, at each end of the strategic waterway. So one of the key reasons the United States and Britain came to be such great superpowers in the 18th and 19th centuries and 20th centuries is because of their control of these sea gates that they've had during this time. It's like Israel is in, is in the crossroad between Asia and Africa and Europe, and Israel was to be that great nation back then. And in fact, King David's time and Solomon's time, it was the greatest empire in the world. So the sea gates are, are for that same purpose, and they were a blessing to Israel given to Rebekah and to Abraham. But in Deuteronomy 28, they are said to be taken away that the nations of the world are going to vex us for these sea gates. Brethren, if you're not obeying Jehovah, if you're not keeping the commandments, the greatest commandment is the first four commandments, and the next, the second greatest is the last six commandments, and the last six tell you how to deal with humans, and the first four tell you how to obey and serve Jehovah. And the fourth one is the one nobody wants to do, and that's the Sabbath, and the Holy Days of Leviticus 23, and the sabbatical years of Leviticus 25. And the punishment for not doing that is found in Leviticus 26. The first 13 verses tell you the blessings that you will receive if you obey. But then if you don't obey, here are the curses. And we've now moved into the fourth curse cycle, the cycle of war. So what you're hearing out of Britain or what you're hearing out of Europe and what Lord Howard just said to you in this interview, that Britain will go to war to defend Gibraltar. This divorce process, this Article 50, is going to take two years. 2017, so 2018, 2019, divorce is supposed to take place. It'll probably take longer. That puts us into 2020. 2020 is the middle of this Jubilee cycle. In the middle of this cycle, in the middle of the 70th week, that's what Daniel says in Daniel 9, that 70th week is 70 feast of weeks, that 70 feast of weeks is 70 times 49, or 70 Jubilee cycles, or 70 since. Well, 70 Jubilee cycles from the time that Moses was told to go and get your people. He was told five times, go and get your people and bring them back to this mountain. 70 Feast of Weeks or 70 49s or 70 Jubilee cycles later brings us to where we are now. The 69th Jubilee from that time was 1996. 2045 is the next Jubilee year. The middle is 2020. In the middle of that fourth sabbatical week is 2020. That fourth sabbatical week is the one we're in now. And in the middle of that week, Israel, all 12 tribes, is to be cut off and to be, according to Daniel, they will be as if they never existed. There's another prophecy there that when you see Damascus in ruins, that Ephraim shall become lean. Well, Damascus is totally in ruins right now. All of the Syria 
is just a totally destroyed city after city after city. It seems like anywhere there's a building, they're going to destroy it. Well, Ephraim's leanness is about to begin. Those people who did not keep the sabbatical year last year, it's now over. They rebelled against Jehovah again. That was their last chance before the sabbatical cycle of war comes upon us. And here it is now. Gibraltar is going to be fought over. It could be the trigger. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball and I have nobody, no voices in my head telling me. But it's going to be taken away because it was a blessing to the UK. Prophecy is happening right in front of you. And if you don't know who these people are, it's time that you learn who they are in history because they're about to be defeated in war. And if you're part of those tribes, if you're one of the people that live in Canada, United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, you're about to fall. And I can't remember the scripture now, but it says in a single night, one night, we are in terrible, terrible times, brethren. Scary times. You know, keep praying that I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. But every time I see the night in the news, I'm reminding of these prophecies here in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, and I see them coming. You've got to understand who's who so that you know what's going on. And once you do, you're going to start praying. You're going to pray like you mean it. This, re this podcast is being recorded on the seventh day of the first month. And on the seventh day of the first month, we're to pray for our family. So my personal family and you are my extended family. And all of the 12 tribes of Israel is my extended family. So let me pray. Our Father, Jehovah, our powerful and great creator, I thank you. Thank you so very, very much for the blessings you have given us, for the wealth and abundance and the just the prosperity that we've had in all of these great nations that we live in. We thank you. We don't deserve them. We didn't earn them. They were a promise that you made to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And you kept your word. But we haven't kept ours. We haven't obeyed you. We haven't taught the rest of the nations to obey you. We were to be a light to those nations, but we didn't do it. Instead, we turned our back on you and we began to worship other gods. We went chasing, ahuring after other nations. And we forgot who you were. The Sabbath is our identity and we forgot who we are because we don't know who about the Sabbath. That's, who I, that's what identifies us as yours. I pray for my family, Father. I pray that you have mercy on them. I pray that you call them in such a way that they hear and will answer. You call me. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to be a part of this. But you called me in such a way that I had to, had to respond. Please do the same for my family, for my children, my grandchildren, my spouse. Please do that for our, our brethren in all these nations. Have mercy on us, Father. Have mercy on us. Again, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to learn these truths. I thank you for sharing these truths with us. And I thank you for allowing me to share these truths with the brethren. I ask you to help them to learn to understand. I ask you to help them to stand up and speak out, to tell others, to share these podcasts, to share our books, to share our, our website, which is, you know, a lot of this stuff is free so that more people can come and start to learn your truth while we still have a chance before the war comes. And I pray, Father, that I'm wrong about this war. I pray that I'm very wrong. 
but the nightly news and your Bible continue to reinforce these ideas that war is coming. And it's coming from Europe, the great whore, that whore of revelation that is spoken of so often. Father, please have mercy on us and watch over us. Write us in the palm of your hand. Keep us in the palm of your hand. Keep us away from the evil that's coming. Father, we ask this not for our sake, although it is for our sake, but we ask for the glory of your name so that your name will be glorified. In the name of Jehovah, we pray. Amen. I was trying to get this podcast out for April 5th, and that's when I made it, uh, but I didn't get it edited in time, so I was about to send it. I'm finishing the editing today, April 6th, and then more news comes in. So let me now share with you this other news on top of the stuff we've already shared with you. More stuff has come in from Great Britain, from the European Union, and the meetings that they're having there. On April 5th, 2017, former UKIP leader Nigel Farage blasted the European Union for behaving like the Mafia in its response to Britain triggering Article 50 last week. The speech no doubt roused a patriotic spirit in many Britons, but watching Mr. Farage speak, and I've watched him speak, we're about to hear it, I couldn't help think about the other European leaders who he was criticizing and how they must feel as they're being compared to gangsters. And you got to hear what he says. No matter how much truth there might be in Farage's provocative rhetoric, many leaders in Europe are taking this personally. They're taking it personally. Right now, they are thinking of ways to retaliate. That's human nature. And it's also prophesied. The seventh and final resurrection of the German Holy Roman Empire is forming right now in the heart of Europe, before our very eyes, and your Bible says that this beast power will soon attack Britain. This beast power is a Holy Roman, resurrected Holy Roman Empire. This is the European Union that we're seeing in the news right now. So, let's listen to what uh, Nigel Farage says. I'm going to give you the introduction to his show and then his full comment, his full speech at the EU, which is only a few minutes long, so please listen to it. And then uh, my closing remarks. We've got some more scriptures to share with you. This is so exciting, so on the edge of my seat. Anyway, hang on. Here we go. Nigel Farage. Thank you, Donald, and good evening, everybody. Well, last night I said there was going to be the big Brexit debate today in Strasbourg in the European Parliament, and I asked the question... Would sparks fly in the chamber today? Well, in the course of a three-hour debate, they certainly did. My view is that since we triggered Article 50 last Wednesday, the demands that have been made upon us by the European Union have been not just unacceptable, but actually virtually impossible. You know, for a negotiation to happen, two sides set out a position and try and compromise in the middle. But if one of them goes way, way too far, and in my view asking us to pay a divorce bill of £52 billion is ludicrous, then what hope can there be of a sensible negotiation or even a deal? This was me at nine o'clock this morning. On behalf of the uh, EFDD group, the floor goes to Mr Farage. Good morning. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Well, it may have taken nine months, a pretty full gestation, but be in no doubt that last Wednesday was a great historic day when the United Kingdom announced that we were going to become 
an independent, self-governing, democratic nation once again, an act that has been cheered by hundreds of millions of people all over the world. Now, we've had a little history lesson this morning from Mr Verhofstadt, but he made one mistake. In 1973, sir, we did not join the European Union. We joined the European Economic Community. And had the British people known that it was intended to get political and take away our ability to govern ourselves, we never would. Now, I'm, I'm sorry to say that the response to the triggering of Article 50 has been all too predictable. Already you've made a series of demands that are not just unreasonable, but in some cases clearly impossible for Britain to comply with. You began by telling us that we have to pay a bill, a cool 52 billion sterling, a figure that has clearly been plucked out of the air, effectively a form of ransom demand. What you could have acknowledged is that we've put net over 200 billion sterling into this project. We're actually shareholders in this building and the rest of the assets, and really, you should be making us an offer we can't refuse to go. And the ever-charming Mr Verhofstadt, the Parliament's chief negotiator, in his resolution that we're to vote on later today, tells us that we cannot discuss potential trade deals with anybody else in the world until we've left the European Union. That has no basis in treaty law whatsoever. And it's rather like saying you can't guarantee yourself a dwelling for when you leave prison, and I trust the British government will completely ignore you. And, of course, Mr Tusk, who is not with us today, um, I suspect that he's still crying. He looked pretty tearful, didn't he, after the British ambassador delivered the letter last week. He tells us in his memorandum that any future trade deal must ensure that the United Kingdom is not allowed to have a competitive advantage. This is all impossible, and you add to that, you add to that the hypocrisy of, on the one hand, saying the EU will negotiate as one, and Clause 22 of the Tusk document saying that actually Gibraltar, that the Spanish can have a total veto over the whole trade deal if they're not happy with the sovereignty of Gibraltar. We believe in national self-determination. Your aim and ambition is to destroy nation-state democracy. Gibraltar is clearly a deal-breaker on current terms. You have shown yourselves with these demands to be vindictive, to be nasty, all I can say is thank goodness we're leaving. You're behaving like the Mafia. You think we're a hostage. We're not. We're free to go. We're free to go. And 85, and this, no, this, now I know, I know, I do understand. Honorable Farage. I do understand. Honorable Farage. Sorry, Mr. Farage. Listen, I'm trying to give you the chance to speak and say everything you want to say. But if you're talking about the Mafia, you're saying this Parliament is behaving like the Mafia. As far as I'm concerned, that's unacceptable. I do understand. I do understand, sir, Mr. President. I do understand national sensitivities. I'll change it to gangsters. All right? And that is how, and that is how we're being treated. We're being given a ransom note. But what must be very difficult for all of you to get into your minds is there is a bigger world out there than the European Union. 85% of the global economy is outside the European Union. And if you wish to have no deal, if you wish to force us 
to walk away from the table, it is not us that will be hurt. Do you know, we don't have to buy German motor cars. We don't have to drink French wine. We don't have to eat Belgian chocolate. There are a lot of other people that will give that to us. A return to tariffs, a return to tariffs will risk the jobs of hundreds of thousands of people living in the European Union. And yet what you're saying is you want to put the interests of the European Union above that of your citizens and your companies. And if you continue with that route, it won't just be the United Kingdom that triggers Article 50. There'll be many more to come. Now, that was Nigel Farage's speech at the EU Parliament. Now, listen to another member of the EU Parliament get up and speak right after him and listen to what he has to say about what's going on. There's a lot of controversy in this, this Parliament in Europe right now. Have a listen. On behalf of the Europe of Nations and Freedoms groups, Mr. De Graaf. Mr. President... I send my congratulations to Ms. Theresa May, to the United Kingdom and the British people. And I say to them, you have regained your freedom and your sovereignty by invoking Article 50 by leaving the European Union. You have now regained the opportunity to flourish as a nation, to control your borders, to make your own laws, to make your own trade deals. The bureaucrats from the EU They'll try to make you pay about 60 billion. They'll try to force you to comply with all EU directives and standards and to accept hundreds of thousands of migrants, to accept even the rulings of the, Euro the European Court of Justice. They will try to open an Ireland road for migrants to the UK. I say to you, don't give in to these demands. You're far better off outside the EU, a union which is going the way of more and more isolation. And they are calling you friend here, friend. But they want to punish you and make you bleed. Let me therefore remind you of the famous words of Sir Winston Churchill. We shall defend our islands, whatever the costs may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. God bless the United Kingdom. There's so much more I want to say. There's so many other speeches I want to share with you. It's just, it's unbelievable what's going on. And yet, it's Bible prophecy jumping off the pages of our Bible right at us. So let me share with you one more thing. Um, from Nigel Farage on his show explaining what the demands were and, and what the EU is now demanding of Britain. And again, just unbelievable stuff taking place in these end times. And you're listening to it, you're watching it, you're seeing it. Unbelievable. Have a listen. Okay, so there are two phases. Phase one is we pay up and look big, we organise our divorce, and then perhaps we get a trade deal that comes afterwards. That is what Monsieur Barnier is saying. Following that debate, there were a series of votes in this parliament. Let me tell you, let me lay out to you what the EU's negotiating position with Britain is right now. Number one, pay 52 billion quid up front and do it quickly. Number two, we should not, during this two-year period, even talk to any other country in the world 
about signing a trade deal once we've left. Number three, any trade deal that comes thereafter will mean that Britain must not get a competitive advantage. We will have to keep all our rules and all our laws the same as the rest of Europe, which makes me think, why on earth would we bother to vote to leave if we couldn't become competitive? And number four is that despite the fact the European Union say that they will negotiate together as one, they've made one little exception. And that is that the Kingdom of Spain can veto any future deal with the United Kingdom if they're not happy with the sovereignty of Gibraltar, which strikes me, frankly, as being an impossibility, given that the last time the Gibraltarians were asked did they wish to remain British, 99% of them said that they did. So that is what the European Parliament today, by an overwhelming majority, voted on. And, you know, my argument is they're not being reasonable. So what you're listening to, what you've been hearing, are the pre-trade war words, the pre-trade war words that are spoken before the bullets and the bombs start to fly. They want this divorce done by 2020, two years away from now, 2017, April 6, 2017, is April 6, 2019, and 2020 is the middle of this fourth sabbatical cycle. In the middle of this 70th jubilee cycle, Israel is to be destroyed. Now, with that in mind, we're talking about a divorce here, the divorce of the UK from the EU. Donald Trump is talking about divorcing from the United Nations, divorcing from the Paris Treaty, divorcing from uh, climate change. Divorce, divorce. Divorce. But what does your Bible say? What does your Bible say? I'm going to start off by reading Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. This is the uh, humiliation of Babylon. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance. This is Jehovah speaking. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people, that's Israel, he was angry with us. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. Jehovah has given us into the hand of the, this whore, this Babylonian whore, this European Union. You showed them no mercy. On the, on the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. And you said, I shall be a lady forever. So that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow. Listen to this word. I shall not sit as a widow. What does that mean? In order to be a widow, you have to be 
married. And then you have to have, did you hear what I just said? You have to be married first in order to be a widow. You have, and we're getting a divorce. Europe is saying that she's not considered a widow. Well, who died? Israel is about to die. Except for a remnant, a very small remnant. Israel's about to, to die, and it's Israel that's getting this divorce right now. It does not say here, I shall not sit as a divorcee. It says, I shall not sit as a widow. Think about these words in relation to what's going on right now. Israel, the United Kingdom, the United States are about to be destroyed. Going back to Isaiah 47. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you. In a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. Now this is Jehovah speaking again. So European Union is saying, I'm not going to be a widow and I'm not going to know the loss of children. But Jehovah is saying, yes, you are. The loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Stand, stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. You know, like look at how many people are talking to her. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. Listen to this part. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be warmed by. This fire shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. What kind of fire is this? Thus shall they be to you, with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. They shall wander each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. This fire is a nuclear fire. This is the fire that we've spoken to you about in the book of Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah speaks of this very thing. The fire, this woman, this woman inside this lead box, this nuclear fire that destroys. You don't get warm by it and it doesn't heat your food it destroys everything, even the stubble. This is what's going on. This is what's coming. And this is the stage right, right now. Now, one more thing, and then I'm going to close out. I have one more little commentary from this Nigel Farge. He is such a character, and he says such profound things. And I don't know if he's reading his Bible or not, but listen to this closing remarks of what he said. And ladies and gentlemen, brethren, Thank you for listening to me. We got on a little bit longer than I wanted to. I had to do a lot of edits to make this part fit in. But listen to what Nigel Farage says here. And may Jehovah be with you and think about these things and cause you to understand these things that are happening right now on the nightly news. So listen to Nigel Farage. I'll say shalom now. And Jehovah be with you. This is a dangerous fantasy. <clears throat> 
The idea that there's going to be a European Air Force, a European Army, it's it proposed. is simply not true. Oh, oh Cleggers, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. It just got, in my view, a little bit worse. Because now, fearing US withdrawal, the European Union is considering its own, yes, wait for it, nuclear deterrent. And I'm not making this up. Robert Keyswetter, who's a foreign policy spokesman with Angela Merkel's party, has said that they need, the European Union needs to have nuclear weapons to build on the existing weapons in Great Britain and France. Now, Nick Clegg, if you're in the car or at home and listening, please, please ring in. Not only, not only are we going to have an army, they want nuclear weapons. You couldn't make it up. OK, I'm sorry. Got one more thing to say. I said I was done. I'm not done. I got one more thing to say. Revelation 18, verse 1. We're going to go with Revelation 18, 1 to 8. After this, I saw another angel descending from heaven with great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his glory. And he cried out in a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a lair of demons. This is Europe. I become a lair of demons. She is a haunt of every unclean spirit, a hideout for every unclean bird, and a hold for every detestable beast. All the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the earth were immoral with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy through the extravagance of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or contract any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Give back to her as she has done to others. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion in her own cup. To the degree that she has glorified herself and lived in luxury, inflict on her that much torment and misery. In her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow and will never see mourning. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and misery and famine, and she will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Okay, I'm done. Think on these things. Think on these things. Again, Jehovah be with you all. Shalom.